This is exactly right. Let me do this. Let me put this away. You do this. And then that. Phone problem. is off. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to scoot so I can see your face. I know. Okay. How's that? Good. Welcome back, everyone. It's season five. <laughs> we all took two months off together. What did you guys do on your spring break? Oh my summer god. vacation. Was it the best? Did you drive all around? Oh my god! Did you have the top down and listen to Britney Spears? Did you flip off cops? You nut! What are you doing? <laughs> Don't do that. That's crazy. Um, gosh. So it's been two months. No. Yes. Yeah. Since we recorded a real episode, two full months, and that was wild. And I missed it. It had been three years since we had taken a vacation. That's right. Since the very beginning of this podcast. Yeah. We had not taken a meaningful break. Sure, we went home for, I went home for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, once or twice. And we take a week off here and there and put up a live episode. Sure. Which, by the way, we also had to do work on those shows, too. So it's not like we didn't work on those. Right, yes, the live episodes are harder uh-huh. because you have to stand up the whole time and wear an outfit. And be and charming yeah. if you, as best as you can. Keep an audience with you for a low about two hours. Sometimes four hours. I mean, it depends on what city we're in <laughs> and right. how long we want to talk to those people. And listen, if the hometown goes long, then the hometown goes long. <laughs> we just stand there. Uh, uh, but here so, we back are. Yeah. Here we are back. <laughs> <laughs> I, just took a, I should let everyone know. I just took a shot of uh, Paul Holz's McClellan 12. That's right. We're here at the Exactly Right <laughs> Studios. That's and, right. That we share with Billy Jensen and Paul Holz's well, Murder Squad. We let them record here. <laughs> we share the space. We share it. We no. lovingly share the space uh, like family where you steal people's stuff and That's don't right. tell them about it. Because I went over to look at our alcohol s- selection. And I see hidden behind a thing of Knob Creek. Oh, a little bottle of McClellan 12 hidden. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no. No, Paul. You don't hide. For- I pay rent here. It ain't that way. I've taken a shot. That's right. <laughs> and then Jim we'll uh, Jay goes, four more shots. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jay's, Paul. Jay's sitting in his kitchen office. I just stole a cop's whiskey. He's retired. He can't do shit. That's true. I feel badass. <laughs> um, What's your, what do you want to share? I have a whole thing of uh, just, you know, updates. I mean, two months worth of updates. This is going to be the longest update section we've ever done. Let me just take another shot. Hi. How are you? Okay, well, here's some news. We are Paul, doing... we, we drank all your McClellans. <laughs> Don't be mad. Don't be mad. And if you are, that's fine, too. You're, you're allowed fired. to have your emotions, but you're fired. As a fired person. <laughs> yeah. And then we hire you back. That's right. At, At a lower, lower rate. rate. Do it. Um, what's the most exciting thing, I guess? Live shows? Should we talk about live shows? Sure. So we're doing the Santa Barbara weekend, my favorite weekend, dot com. You can go and get all the information there. It's November 1st and 2nd. It's going to be freaking awesome. It's going to be like, like Murderino Con. Is that a thing? Yes. It's going to be a small, um, beautifully appointed Murderino Con. Yeah. Where we get to hang out with, uh, roughly, 
how many? A couple thousand? A couple thousand people who feel like hanging out in a weekend in November. In Santa Barbara. In Santa Barbara, watching live shows, live podcasts from the Exactly Right Network. Yeah. Um, you know, arts and crafts. And then you guys are going to have your own meetups, too, which I think is going to be great. Like, it, you know, everyone's going to be staying. There's like participating hotels. So you're just going to be like overrun by your friends. It's going to be great. That's right. And I have friends a, you haven't met yet. That's right. I have a pitch. <laughs> And listen, Marty's totally down for this. What if Marty and Jim... I already have, like, weird chills. No. I know. I'll say no now, but keep going. Host a bingo night. Just absolutely not. Vince said he'll emcee it so that anyone can understand what they're saying. And the whole time, neither of them can hear anything. So they're going to be yelling what? You know what? It's going to be a silent bingo. I shouldn't have said no before you got the idea out. Okay. Um, that's my bad. That's fair. That's and, cool. Why do you think I'm saving it for recording and not telling you in a text, <laughs> even though I was so excited about it? Um, you know what? Here's what I'm thinking. It's only mid-August. Yeah. Um, that means we have three months to try to convince Jim to come down for this weekend. That's it, it could happen. He should come. Marty's already coming no matter what. Of course Marty's coming. But <laughs> but Jim's is the anti-Marty. Yeah. He's really, he is fiercely private like my dogs. So. What if they get in like a brawl, like a barroom brawl? Marty he, and Jim? Jim would beat the shit out of skinny Marty. Listen, Jim has spent his life beating the shit out of people. Yeah. I heard some stories. <laughs> we... Just as a sidebar, when we Good. went on our uh, 10-day Hawaiian vacation, oh, yeah. we forced my dad to go on. He won't even go on a, a Hawaiian, a, Hawaiian a tropical Hawaiian retreat. vacation. So. I don't, I don't, nah, I don't need that. I don't like this. <laughs> um, I heard some stories. Yeah, he's he's a uh, he's a street fighter. That Jim Kilgore. Good for him. But I'm sure he'd love Marty, and I'm sure he might be into this hang. I don't know. Well, my dad is a badass too. One time, he and his friends dressed up like the Pointer Sisters and did a lip sync. <laughs> so I'm so excited. So I feel like it's an even fight. This could be in an anything can happen situation. <laughs> Um, uh, my friend Doug, who's going to be DJing his incredible French pop, where he also projects the videos, the old French pop music. Love it. He wants to do a karaoke night, too. He's obsessed with karaoke. Amazing. Isn't that great? Yes, yeah. Totally. Okay. I think we're going to have all kinds of cool things planned. Yeah. I personally love the bingo idea, genuinely. Yeah. Because um, you know how I feel about games oh, like that. I think that's the best. How about, a, how about an Uno tournament? Uh, <laughs> I have Uno in my purse right fucking now. <laughs> Uno to the death. <laughs> Um, I, I also wouldn't be against a trivia night, which yeah. clearly I've pitched many times and no one answers when I say it. So I don't think anybody else is really interested in organizing Vince will do, it. Vince will do it. Yeah, but I mean, you'd have to like write questions and stuff. It's like a whole thing. Okay. Steven? But look, look, look. Steven, look, get your listen. pen and paper out. We okay. can do we can do it all. <laughs> what we're saying is, won't you join us on yeah. this amazing weekend in Santa Barbara? My favorite, uh, weekend.com gives you all the details, etc. See if you can come. And then we're also doing an, uh, our next uh, show after that is a UK and Ireland tour. Yeah. And we added uh, a Dublin show on November 25th. And a London show on November 28th. So there's going to be two shows in both those. There's also Manchester and Glasgow. I th I don't know what's sold out yet, but you can go get those tickets. Cool. And it's going to be really fun. Yes. Um, and yeah, there's then, still tickets left for see. the UK yeah, and Ireland. That's right. <laughs> They're different places. They're not the same. Deal with it. Yes. We know. We know because we went there and we're wrong about things. Never. This is how you learn. <laughs> this is how you grow. Take another shot. Um, <laughs> the fan cult is fucking booming. Dang. Our website in general and our fan cult have be have become next fucking level. MyFavoriteMurder.com. Check it out. But the fan cult is going to now have a um, an exclusive merch store yes. where you're going to get shit that you can only get on the fan cults. Yeah. Um, all new stuff. It's going to be fucking awesome. It's going to be specifically developed for 
with you in mind, fan cult members for you in mind. Yeah, we were very passionate about what we picked out. Yes. And we're also doing uh, videos every fan cult Friday. There's one up right now that anyone can watch with Stephen and Jay um, of a Would You Rather. And then there's also um, we're doing like unboxings and we're doing question and answers and Would You Rathers. And it's a lot of fun. So check that out. MyFavoriteMurder.com. Dot gov. (laughs) (laughs) And then I finally want to talk about Exactly Right Network real quick. Oh, yeah. The Purcast, their episode this week is they talk to the rock stars of the trap and release community. <laughs> How fucking cool is that? I love oh, it so much. Oh, you're doing like a TV guide for Exactly Right right now. That's right. Great idea. Okay, TV guide. Season five of The Fall Line is up. You can hear episode one on our feed and make sure you um, subscribe to The Fall Line. It's a fucking great season and really important. Yeah, they do amazing work they on do. The Fall Line. Uh, Jensen and Holes, Murder Squad. The Booze Hounds. <laughs> they have Morgan Bauer, her missing persons case, this week. Um, this podcast will kill you. Is doing a wildlife disease called chytridomycosis, probably. <laughs> and all the chytridomycosis fans out in the audience yeah. are like, "Wow, like, she said it wrong." They're doing our thing. And tell us who the guest this week is on "Do You Need a Ride?" Do you need a ride? Is it this week? No, on Monday it's our it's our solo night ride episode. <gasps> oh, that's right. Chris Ooh. and I and Steven go out into the night. It's scary though. Um it is Did scary. you turn the lights off? Um oh, yeah, we drive around with no headlights on <laughs> and we hit sixteen bird scooters. <laughs> no, we just had to it's that kind of thing where when we all plan stuff out. Yeah. No one ever thinks, oh, we record everything on Monday. Like, Stephen is sitting there going, well, I could record with you guys at either 11 in the morning or 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. Those are your two choices because I got stuff all day long, yeah. which is brand new and yeah. exciting. So, Busy. we did an 8 o'clock at night and then in the future, we're going to record on different days than, like, say, the murder squad or oh, whatever. Right. Oh, but do you know, Stephen had just finished recording a murder squad. This is future episodes because okay. they had to do them all at once because Paul Holes is in town. And it's the case that I did. Yes. Yeah. The um, Neil Falls is the person that we talked about who you covered. At the Las Vegas fun. live show. The guy that worked at the Hoover Dam that creeped <gasps> everybody out and yeah. got killed by a sex worker who picked up the gun and shot it yes. backwards. They talk to her. No, they don't. Have, have their Saul. Oh yes. We my had God. her on as a guest, and that comes out sometime in the future, in the next couple months. So that's kind of a teaser teaser. They might not want us to put that in there because it's a future teaser. No, do it. But I am so excited to listen to that episode. That's incredible. Because Stephen said, oh, we just had this interesting interesting one about a guy. They're not sure if he's a serial killer. And I was like, what's this? Uh-huh. Like, finally break out of my own God, they're so, bubble. They're doing such important shit. Yeah. I'd have chills if I wasn't lightly sweating in this really <laughs> hot fucking office. But also, it's the cool thing about Murder Squad is because they need help. These are cold cases they need help so they have you know that guy in particular it's so frustrating because clearly when he attacked heather yeah this was not the first time that no, he, he had kill attacked kit. or killed anybody he yeah. had a kill kit he creeped out everybody that was anywhere near him that like there's information to be gleaned about who else this guy did it to yeah who's people who the people who aren't being spoken for right. like i'm so excited to see where that goes oh, me too yeah it's very very exciting citizen sleuth that's what he, they call them, right? Yep. I have one in my story today. Do you really? Uh-huh, I'm like really excited about it. Now, haven't you been like chomping at the bit yeah. to do this again? I have, I've been really excited. And then I've also been really nervous about what story I'm going to come back with. Right. Um, and as soon as I started looked, like doing the research, I was like, oh, I forgot how much fucking fun. I mean, not fun. This is terrible and horrible. But I'm enjoying like research is so much fun. Well, it's 
it feels great to have your mind occupied by something that you're genuinely fascinated by. Yeah. You're using the word fun because yeah. actually it's you're fascinated. I'm fascinated. You're uh, you're unbelievably upset. Yeah, yeah. But passionate. You're, you're passionate if passionate started with an N. That was my oh. acronym fun. Passion. What it really stands for. <laughs> passionate um, with a capital This is N. like what school must have been like for other people that enjoyed it. For smart people who were encouraged. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like writing a book report of a book I actually like. That you actually read. Yeah, no, it was like into. Instead of me looking at the cover of Silas Marner and going, this is about <laughs> an old man for sure. <laughs> this we know for a fact. An old man is in this book. Keep writing about that. And just can't. What are old men like? Yeah. They, well, this guy is especially bent over at the <laughs> shoulder, mid back area. Uh, I Ugh, did want to bring too. up a couple things that have happened while we were, well, I was going to say out of town, but that's <laughs> not, that's not the case. And the most exciting I would say, um, is when we were on tour, um, last time in the UK, the last time we were back there, two years, we did, hmm, Stephen, was it 2016? No. 2018. It was definitely 2018. <laughs> I, I will always remember the great. Uh, Elvis throw up laptop of 2018. Oh, oh that's yes. right. That's how Stephen marks time. I blocked that out. We were in Sweden. <laughs> and I get a text from Stephen saying, hey, so Elvis threw up on my laptop and I'm taking it to the laptop doctor, but it doesn't seem to be working right now. <laughs> Elvis throwing up on someone's laptop oh. is the height of like cat aggression. Oh, yeah. You might, why not throw up into Stephen's mouth, Elvis? <laughs> he did throw Okay. No, nothing ever happened. Okay. <laughs> Gross. Okay, so we know for a fact it was 2018. We had an amazing show in Manchester at uh, St. I want to call it St. Mark's, but it was this, it was a cathedral. converted church, oh, cathedral. Gorgeous. That was just uh, bewildering to do a show in. Mm -hmm. It felt amazing. The audience was incredible. And then after the show, we had a hometown from a woman named Chloe, Chloe that was among the greats, mm. truly a great storyteller, a, a, a really fun person to spend time with. Mm -hmm. And she tells the story of a woman named Helen McCourt who was murdered. And at the end of the story, uh, she starts talking about how Helen's mother, Marie, is trying to get a law passed so that murderers who are convicted will not get parole if they refuse to reveal where the bodies of their victims are buried. Incredible. It's an incredible concept. It's It makes so much perfect logical yeah. sense, and yet it's never been enacted, I don't think, anywhere. Yeah. And on July 5th, 2019, Marie McCourt and all <gasps> the people that signed all of those uh, p petitions... Which a ton of murderinos did after we posted that episode, which is fucking incredible. That's right. All kinds of people got active and let their voice be heard, and they passed Helen's Law. And now, in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland, it is the law that if you don't reveal where your victim is buried, you don't get parole. Fuck yes. Amazing, amazing work. Congratulations. Good job, you guys. Yeah. That's um, incredible. That's the kind of thing that, like, how... How exciting to be even adjacent to that. Yeah. So great job, Chloe. Powerful. Chloe is the person who brought that to everyone's attention. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, everyone else yeah. that, that actually got it done. Amazing. That was such a such exciting news to get in the middle of vacation. That's when I was like, ooh, like, I wish we were back I so we could it. talk about this right yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. So exciting. Cool. Then, of course, you know, like season two of Dairy Girls premiered. <laughs> The girls who live in Londonderry, Northern Ireland. Uh -huh. Not Belfast. No. Totally different town. Different? Like, they don't even like each other. No. It's a real problem. Anyway. Have you been watching um, Euphoria? 
Yo, on yes. HBO. Oh, yes. <gasps> I love it so much. It's so good. Friend of the show, Maud Apatow, is, is on it. it. And she's so <laughs> cute and funny. Everyone is dressed up. It's Halloween. Everyone is dressed up as a sexy whatever. Sexy whatever. And she's dressed in full Bob Ross costume. <laughs> full on Bo- Bob, Bob Ross. Ross drag. And I just love it so... It's just the perfect character. It's so good. And she's darling. I love it. It's such a good show. The character cat is groundbreaking. Uh-huh. Watching the trajectory now, I have not watched the end. I haven't either. Okay, Let's so I have check. to. I still have to watch the last episode. I'm sure there's something terrible yes. coming of for all of it's us. Terrible, but um, I uh, just as a girl who grew up fat, watching that girl, girl. have this renaissance is the most beautiful thing I've ever I seen. I love her. She is the coolest. She's gorgeous, but she's also like high school broken, and yes. like I can't wait to see her. Like I want to see her in her twenties. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. get it. Like, so finally she has it. Like, I love her. She gets I it all together. protect her, yeah. But I love the way that show is mm-hmm. like, here's all the different ways you can be a girl. Here's all the different versions. Mm-hmm. And here's all the different things that might happen to you. And here's the way that y- you don't have to be victim to it. Yeah. Here's the way that you can rise up yeah. within it. I find it so, I find it inspirational. I find the eyeshadow unbelievable. The one that looks like tears with the glitter? (laughs) Oh my God. These kids are so good. How about a simple neon pink top line? Dude. Just why not go for it? I'm doing it. You know, I decided to be a wig person (laughs) on my break. On my summer vacation, I decided to become a wig person. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe because of that show. And so I bought some pink wigs. Mm Mm-hmm. And they look like wigs. Yeah. <laughs> they don't look great. With the little bob, like hot pink? Yeah. Sure. I just need better quality wigs. But I feel like the, the show is, is um what's the word? Making me want to do stuff like that. Inspiration. Turns out I'm not 16. That's true. I'm 39. But look. That's the opposite of 16. Listen. Hey, it's all in your mind. <laughs> this is, we're on a timeline that goes by so fast. That's the true. difference between 16 and 39 is a blip. I don't feel any different. You I were, do. You're not different. I'm not. <laughs> None of us are. I mean, these chits are still perky. You know hey, what I mean? They're not going anywhere. They're not. Till you're almost 50. <laughs> And I'm just like, how are these getting lower? There's nowhere else for them to go. Yeah, the wrinkles in the morning are staying a little longer in my chest. There will be a day. (laughs) There will be a day when you wake up and they don't go away. That's that's what happened. That was also from gaining weight. I got this red line where I was like, what's this, a cut? And it just was the like double chin line on the chin. Guess what? We're here to stay. We're moving in. This is the pain. We're renting property. The pain has arrived. Good night. Whatever, Here's a great pubic hair to make it even worse. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, Be more upset. <laughs> um, is well, there anything else that we've that we've missed? I, that's all I want to talk about. There's something about the sound of an old timey cash register that really takes me back. I know it sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. 
Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. I want to say, okay, so I don't know who's first, and I know Stephen knows, but I feel like we, <laughs> I saw him reaching for his fucking mic, and like, I, don't I, know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. Um, but I feel like we can do whatever we want. I feel like this is like a new season. It's so true. Where we can do whatever we want. So let's pick what, who we want to go first, and then let's ask Stephen if we're right. Okay. Let's throw the runes. Um, do you want to go first? <laughs> I, d- I don't care. Do you want to go last? I don't care. My Mine's long and sad. Okay. And yours is? Mine's sad, but hopeful. Interesting. Like a, yes. Okay. Then I'm going to go first. Is okay. that okay? Absolutely. You? Okay. Stephen? Well, if we went off of our Mary Vincent uh, oh, yeah. episode, then then you would go first. Great. Which technically is last week, but if we went off the last time we recorded. Too much information. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> say a really quick thing about the Mary Vincent episode. Yeah. First of all, the fact that I re- thank you everybody for voting and giving yes. a shit. So yeah, in the fan cult, we had a vote for the top three episodes and those are the past um, three episodes that we've posted. It was so fucking cool to see what you guys liked the most. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple people who piped up on Twitter to argue those where I wanted to go, hey friend, that's not our decision. It was, it's called voting. Yeah. Um, get out there. Uh, now and in 2020. That's right. But I would like to say this about Mary Vincent, who is a living, breathing human being today. Um, 
if if that story moved you, if you were um, if you were inspired by her strength and her uh, fortitude and everything about that story, please donate to a local victims um, rights charity. Amazing. Uh, because I, I, I think about that sometimes, you know, there's lots of people who like to ask us about um, victims and comedy and murder and all these different things. And somehow, uh, you know, like we are supposed to answer for all of that when we just are talking about true crime. But when th- with things like that, when we are talking about real people and living people, those people um, do something in their name to make them feel like this is the this is the good intended show that it is. Right. Um, or at least if you if you feel like you want to, I yeah. guess, is what I want to say. Yeah, It's a good way to uh, acknowledge what that person went through and what people who didn't survive went through. And to, you know, it seems like you're just throwing money at it, but you're you're helping those people by doing that. Also, I don't know who came up with that phrase throwing money at it because money is what makes things go. It it's works. what makes things work. It's a great it's a great solution. And it's what charities need when they're trying to help other people yeah. who go through really difficult things yeah. so if you can do it and uh, we realize that these days you could either can do it or you can't but if you can that'd be a great thing to do yeah. in mary vince or you can name. volunteer Ooh, i'm scared i'm nervous about this one because i want to come back with a bang this is one i didn't want to do live minnesota's most famous crime arguably jacob wetterling oh wow yeah yes yeah Let's do it. This is one of this is the story that I started. Uh, I started to um, research and and there's so many twists and turns in it. And of course, a lot of that information is from the incredible podcast in the dark hosted by Madeline Barron. She's incredible. The first season of in the dark is about Jacob Wetterling and mm-hmm. the disappearance. And it is fucking incredible. Yeah. Second season's insane, too. She's so talented or they're the team that makes us so talented. And I got information from APM and from a blog called uh, by a woman named Joy Baker, but I'll get into her later. Okay. So, all right, here we go. Uh, 11-year-old Jacob Wetterling was a totally normal American kid on a fucking totally normal Midwestern fall weekend. Picture it. Leaves. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. In 1989. So he's 11 years old, 1989. I think I was, I must have been nine years old. So I totally fucking remember this happening. Um, and St. Joseph, Minnesota is a totally normal American small town. It's just an hour from Minneapolis. The population is just about 2,500 people. So it's a small town, Midwest town. It's considered safe. Kids are allowed to play out on their own, left to their own devices until dark, which we all were. And I want to stress for our younger listeners that helicopter parenting is around because of stuff like this story. Yes. They had to be helicopter parents because they realized all the crazy things that happen when you let your kid just go live their lives. Go be in the world. That's right. Yeah. Um, so on the outskirts of town in a less populated, a little more rural area, dirt roads, cornfields, long driveways, that kind of thing. But it's not like it's not secluded. It's just outside the town of the small little town. Um, at the end of a cul-de-sac live the Wetterling family. Patty and Jerry Wetterling had four kids and Jacob, he's born February 17th, 1978. He's the second oldest. And on the evening of Sunday, October 22nd, 1989, Patty and Jerry are out at a function and the kids are home alone, which is a totally normal thing back then. Constant. Yeah. And since there wasn't school the next day, a friend of Jacob's is over and the two of them, along with Jacob's little brother, who's just 10, um, they want to go rent a movie at the local Tom Thumb. They, uh, it's about a 15 minute bike right away. 
So they call Patty to get permission. She's like, no fucking way. And then they're like, you know what we should do? They call back and ask to speak with dad. And he's like, okay. But um, they're worried that the thing that they're worried about is that they'll get hit by a car because they live in this rural area. There's no streetlights, that sort of thing. So they make them bring a flashlight, wear a reflective vest. Like that's their worry then. Right. You know, because that's that was the worst that could happen in there in their knowledge. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so they let the kids go. So uh, it's just around 9 p.m. It's just getting dark. The boys leave the Wetterling home and on the right of the store, they hear some wrestling in an overgrown area, but they don't think anything of it. And on their way back, though, it's uh, now dark and they rented Naked Gun, which is like the most normal fucking 1989 thing to do. Um, and just as the boys are about to ride by a long gravel driveway, a man steps out of the shadows, pointing a revolver at them. <sighs> It's just so crazy because you think of like a kid being alone as the thing you need to worry about, not with two with two people. Right. Well, and that's where the buddy system kind of broke down. Right. That's where that's how helicopter parenting came in, where it's like if there's not a mom within, you know, eyesight, then then you have to figure out where another mom is. Yeah. It turns out kids need to be watched and kept safe from predators but we didn't know that back then right you know well in this idea of predators i think that was kind of the dirty secret yeah that was the thing people weren't talking about because it was inappropriate or it was wrong or whatever Or like not in our area there's not pedophiles in our area now of course we have uh what's the one that you can find a pedophile yeah in your neighborhood perv net or whatever and it's like they're just dotted everywhere they're everywhere yeah but we didn't know that back then it was an innocent time it was um, so the man has his face obscured by a, a black stocking cap. He's short and stocky and in a raspy voice that one of the boys later describes as sounding like he has a cold. He orders the boys to throw their bikes into a little ditch and then lie face down on the ground. He asks them how old they are. And when Trevor, the little brother, says 10, the man tells him to run into this kind of nearby wooded area and not look back or else he'd get shot. So Trevor takes off running. <sighs> Then the man forces Jacob and his friend Aaron to face him, and he tells Aaron um, to run away and not look back or he'll be shot as well. And Jacob Wetterling is now alone with the man. And when Trevor and Aaron finally reach the woods and look back, Jacob and the man have vanished. Mm. The boys run home. They tell a neighbor what happened, and um, the search begins. But uh, only the abandoned bikes are found, and the search is called off by 3 a.m. and doesn't start back up until the next morning at 8 a.m. Oh, no. So there's all this fucking, you know, this, like, police fucked up. It's so horrible, all the, the problems that went on with this um, this investigation. But you can hear all about that in the, um, in the dark. I just kind of, I touch on that. Well, also, wasn't it, I mean, I haven't listened to it in the dark yet, but wasn't it a thing where these are small towns that have never dealt with right. anything similar to this? So... To them, they don't know that thing of the first 48 hours. They don't know all of the things that now, simply by the forensic files education we've all gotten in the past 20 years, these are the things that seem standard. But back then, they didn't know. The problem with that, though, is that the FBI are called in and people who should have known stuff are called in and didn't do basic things like, um, like question surrounding neighbors for over a week if at all ever yeah you know which is what you're supposed to do you start in this this small circle and you go outwards i mean that's what you we hear right so they didn't do a lot of those things and it's partly because this became such a crazy media circus and there were so many investigators and so many different departments on it that it just became 
bungled. So the next day, FBI um, and other agencies join the investigation. Hundreds of tips are called in and officers and volunteers conduct aerial and ground searches. The story goes fucking viral and the search becomes the biggest search for a missing child in U.S. history. And um, at the time, things like Amber Alert don't exist. That doesn't happen until 1996. And we covered that in episode 52, actually. And there isn't even the kind of laws necessary to deal with such rare crimes like um, stranger abductions, because that kind of is rare. Yeah. Um, There's no national registry of sex offenders. So there's no way for investigators to even monitor or track sex offenders even a town away mm. so you know everyone sees jacob's sweet face on the flyers it's on pizza boxes it's sent through the mail and everyone you know feels like he could be their kid and the um horrible horrifying way in which he was taken really strikes people and scares them so um they rally around finding him they wear white ribbons pinned to their shirts they form mile-long human chains uh. just to pray for his return because you just feel so fucking helpless probably yeah And I fucking totally remember this. By the end of the first week, nearly 100 officers from various agencies are working the case. The searches are putting in 18-hour shifts. And Patty Wetterling says at one point she looked out her window and the people all wearing black, all the um, investigators, they were searching shoulder to shoulder, you know, doing that ground sweep. And she said it reminded her of a Stephen King movie. Just so horrifying. But somehow it took more than a week before authorities began to question neighbors and fully canvass the neighborhood. And that's known to be one of the most crucial moves in an investigation of this nature. And despite the massive search, the only evidence found are footprints and tire tracks at the abduction site which are casted. Is that the right word when you do a cast? I'm not. It's cast or casted, I think. Well, that's what they did. Okay. With the prince. One of the problems that arises is that the story goes national. Remember a current affair? Oh, yeah. Like they fucking loved it. Um, What's his name? Uh, Maury Povich. No, wait. What's the guy's name? With the mustache. Pat O'Brien? No. More Geraldo? Geraldo. Thank you. Geraldo fucking milks the shit out of it of in a course. really creepy way. Um, and the story goes national, and the law enforcement asks the public in the nation for tips and help, which is a bad fucking thing to do because it's probably local. And now what happens is people from all over the country call in these crazy tips that now investigators have to follow up on. So they have all these leads that probably go nowhere. You know, some guys like I saw a kid that looks like him in fucking Alabama. They have to look into it. Right. But none of those tips lead anywhere. So then two months later, after Jacob's abduction, another boy comes forward to law enforcement with information that he thinks is relevant to Jacob's kidnapping. So nine months and 10 miles away from Jacob's abduction, nine months ago, this boy, he's 12-year-old Jared Shirell, and he's he had been kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and physically threatened by an unknown assailant. And oh. this fucking 12-year-old boy comes forward and is like, I think this is connected to Jacob's kidnapping. It's unbelievable. This guy, Jared, is the fucking hero of the story. We'll get into it. So Jared had been walking home in the dark by himself from an ice skating rink in Cold Springs, which was just 10 miles away, um, in in January 1989, when a man had pulled up and asked him for directions. The man then got out of the car, had grabbed Jared and forced him into the backseat of the car, telling him he had a gun and wasn't afraid to use it. And he drove Jared to a remote area, sexually assaulted him, and then later let him go. And the man told Jared if the authorities uh, ever got close to finding him, he'd kill Jared first. And then he told him to run and not look back or he'd shoot. Ooh. Yeah. So 
The family had reported the kidnapping and assault to the police at the time. And based on Jared's description of the car and the man, authorities were able to connect it to a man, a local man that was on the police's radar due to burglary charges. And he'd been caught driving with a police scanner in the same kind of car that Jared described. And he said that the man had a police scanner. So they're like, let's fucking talk to this creep. Yeah. Um, and but he's unable to pick him out of a lineup. And because of Jared's description of the man's car, it didn't totally match up. He said that the car had a sports rack on top and the car like didn't, even though it was like a fucking the same fucking car. Yeah. The the man is released. Okay. Okay. But now nine months later, when Jared tells the story to the FBI, they believe the cases are connected because of the details. Jared's story leads FBI agents back to the original suspect in the case. He's an unemployed man uh, who lives in the town of Painesville, which is about 30 miles from St. Joseph. And his name is Danny Heinrich. He denies any knowledge about the abduction of either Jacob or Jared, but he fails a polygraph test. He agrees to provide investigators with his tennis shoe prints, and the soles match the prints taken at the Jacob um, abduction site. And it's also found that Heinrich Sears brand tires on his uh, car match the plaster cast of the tire um, at the scene of Wetterling's abduction. Oh, my God. Right. And then the other thing, too, that I found interesting is that they didn't see um, Jacob driven away in like a getaway car. And maybe it's because nine months earlier, the car had been described. So this time he learned to hide the car and it was hidden up the driveway behind some trees. So he walked him to the car. Makes sense. So they have this is the fucking like talk about re-traumatizing a victim. They have Jared sit in Heinrich's car in the back seat to see if he can recognize it as the car he was abducted in. And this fucking strong as hell boy says that he, on a scale of one to ten, the vehicle is an eight of, or nine in terms of how similar it was to the car in which he's abducted in a year earlier. But they don't do fucking semen tests on the ba- on the back seat. None of that shit. Um, and he- but Heinrich is put under surveillance. He shakes the tail with uh, several times with evasive maneuvers, which is like, if you're innocent, yeah. you're not trying to get away from the fucking cops. Yeah, just go to 7-Eleven and come back. Yeah. But obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but for some reason, after two days, they stopped trying to find him with, or follow him with no explanation. So during a search of the home where Danny lives with his father, investigators find a, the police scanner and they find a locked trunk containing two photos of little boys, one with a towel wrapped around him and another in his underwear, both taken in Heinrich's home. So but he says to them, those photos make me look bad and you can't take my property. So they give the photos back to him and he burns them. And gets oh, rid of them. no. They give him the photos back. Uh, they do convince him to stand in a lineup for three boys, which I think we'll put the photo uh, on the post of this. So you can see it. He's in a lineup and he and it's and they show it the lineup to three boys, two who reported seeing a suspicious man in the car near Wetterling's house in the week before the abduction. So who the fuck knows who they actually saw? And they also have Jared see the um, look at the lineup and none of them pick out Heinrich. But the kids who aren't brought in to see the lineup is fucking problematic. Aaron and Trevor, who were with Jacob when he was fucking abducted and they're not brought in. To, to look at the lineup. And it's also criticized that the investigators didn't have Heinrich speak since the, he was said by everyone to have a low, raspy voice. So that didn't happen. And also, I wonder if anyone thought to put a mask 
uh, like a nylon right. over his face to see what that would look like. Definitely. Because clearly it wasn't a guy that was just standing there. Right. And there's so many other things, too, that you'll if you when you listen to In the Dark season one, you'll know, like he was known to wear camo around town and all the victims were saying that he, this man had camo on, like the same kind of clothes, that sort of thing. Like so many little fucking things that just made him a probable suspect that should have been looked into further. Right. You know, um, so Heinrich is released though they take um, some hair from him, hair samples from him. Then on February 9th, 1990, event, an event that has been called the most fatal flaw in the Wetterling investigation occurs when dr- a drunk Danny Heinrich is arrested and questioned by two inexperienced FBI agents who didn't really know the details of the case. They questioned him about the kidnapping and the molestation of Jared Shirel, but not they didn't know he was connected to the possibly to the Jacob Wetterling case. The agents allegedly tell detectives that they don't think Heinrich is guilty and he's released again. I know. And then a man, a fucking pedophile, convicted pedophile named Dwayne Hart, comes forward in 91. He's a suspect in the case and they go after him. And he's like, I'm friends with Danny Heinrich. And he asked me how to that that month that Jacob Wetterling went missing, asked me how to fucking hide a body. Like this fucking pedophile is like, I'm telling you who the person is right now. And so uh, the investigators don't follow up on this. And that's the last we hear of Danny Heinrich in the Wetterling investigation for more than 20 years. It's yeah. easy to sit here. I know. 30 yes. years later, yes, however with, long it and is. And like put all the pieces together. Yes, I know It's that. all so clear. But I know. these are those things. Because the first thing it made me think of is John Bonet. Of yeah. the inexp- how are you assigning any inexperienced anybody to a case like this? Yeah. And, I, and you know, I, everyone wants to blame a simpler time, 1989. But it's like the FBI and, and fucking criminal profiling existed. It wasn't like fucking there weren't homicide detectives. Like those people existed. Right. They, you know, they and I know that there were so many leads and this was a really emotionally charged investigation, high pressure, high pressure yeah. but they had him. And there's more. I'll tell right, you, right, right. I'm going to tell you all about it. Easy for us. Easy for us. But God damn it. It's frustrating. But I think it's it, and I'll tell you, it's acknowledged that they fucked up yep. by them. So here we go. Um, well, and also these are the things not that it counts, but these are the things that then later on make it so much better exactly. because it's that thing of it, never again. Yeah. Next time they they. They don't they don't repeat the same problems. You got to hope. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, the Wetterlings established the Jacob Wetterling Foundation, which works to help communities and families prevent child exploitation. And Patty Wetterling becomes a national advocate for missing children. This woman is a fucking badass hero. Like I just you, you watch these interviews with her and how she stays so strong and centered and just, you know, thinking positively and knowing what her fucking goal is, which is to help uh, children and victims not you know, get exploited is unbelievable. And I don't know how she has that in her. It's it's fascinating. And she's just so incredible. Um, In the summer of 1990, the Jacob Wetterling Foundation offers a national database assistance program to help families of missing children and legislation for the Jacob Wetterling Act, a national registry of people who have committed crimes against children is passed. So that's when the sex offender offender registry comes into fucking play. Love it. Amazing. Um, People take their horrible experiences and turn them into into something that can help future victims and future families. Yep. I'm just in awe of them. Well, it's also kind of like maybe it's a way to go there is a there is a not a point yeah but it is that the good that com- 
come out of the ultimate darkness, the right. worst thing of, of all time, that there still is yeah. something beneficial that can come out of right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So early 2000s, investigators zero in on a man named Dan Rassier, who becomes a, a fucking person of interest. Dan is an elementary school teacher, and he lived at the house at the top of that gravel fucking driveway. Ew. Yeah. All I can think now is, now that we live in the world where exposed pedophile ranks, basically yeah. every conspiracy theory has been proved correct. Yeah. There's no longer conspiracy theories. Now they're just fucking theories right. about the way power works right. in this world. Oh, Jesus. And that idea that they are all friends or know each other, which used to be so crazy and insane, yeah. is so believable now. Hold on. He has nothing to do with it. Oh, damn it. I was going on an Epstein. I'm on an Epstein turn. Dude, I can't stop reading about that fucking creepy piece of shit. He, he had an island that the locals called Pedophile Island, but no one could touch him because he's a billionaire millionaire. How, how was he able to kill himself after attempting it a week earlier? He either is not dead <gasps> or was murdered. That's I'm telling you. No. What I, else could it be? It could be an aptitude. It's so simple. There's so many things it could be. Okay. Okay, let's get back. Jesus Christ. Let's get back off Pedophile Island into this terrible Jay, story. Jay, go get me another shot, please. <laughs> Eight of them. Um, I'm not Paul, saying... Paul, we're drinking Paul? your... Paul, I'm going off the wagon and we're drinking your McClellans. <laughs> I'd like to point out that I, I'm not forcing Stephen to get me drinks anymore. That's nice. He's been promoted. That's right. Stephen's the engineer. He doesn't yeah. get drinks Stephen anymore. gets a drink with me. That's we take right. shots together. Yeah. And then everything. Some would call you peers. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. Okay. Dan Rassier. So Dan is an elementary school music teacher and not a pedophile. Damn it. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Dan. Dan. Dan, sorry. I went crazy. Yeah, no. He lived at the top of the gravel driveway where the abductor, the abductor had hidden when he took Jacob. So they were like, maybe it's him. Like, let's go after him. Hardcore. <laughs> the way I just did. Yes. Well, understandable. And I remember I remember when he became a person of interest, because I like most murderinos, we kind of kept up with the updates of news and shit about this case. And right. Like, and you're like, yeah, it's fucking him. It's that guy. It's obviously him. Yeah. Um, but investigators searched the farm, the house is his parents and he lives there with them. Another like fucking pedophile red flag for most people. Like you live with your parents. And yeah. It's like maybe they have a nice fucking house. Maybe they have an indoor jacuzzi. You don't yeah. know. Teachers do not make money. No, that's they right. They need to live somewhere. Music teachers. <laughs> Come on. He's not. So they fuck and like of course make a big deal of digging up the property look you know and like make it look like they have information that's leading them to do that so he, they just kind of hound him for years they ruin his life trying to get him to break at one point they have patty wetterling wear a wire and confront him in public and be like oh. tell me if you took jacob and what does he do he's like he just denies it all he denies it the whole time and he does interviews and he's just really forthright and he's like i didn't do this and he didn't. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump to 2012 now. Here we are. There's this fucking amazing woman named Joy Baker. She's a blogger. Um, she is from a town not far from where Jacob had been abducted and had been obsessed with finding out what happened to him. And since 2010, she just had this like, I read a lot of her blog posts and it's just that she had this pull and she always thought about him and she was just obsessed with the case. It sounds like she was just 
really into it to true crime and and wanted to see if the investigators had missed something and maybe she could help find it. Um, so she, since 2010, had been researching Jacob's case, interviewing witnesses, digging into archive news stories, and had been writing about the case on her blog, Joy the Curious. It's joybaker.com if you want to check it out. In her research, she stumbles upon articles from the mid-1980s. And I'm looking at, I'm fucking picturing microfiche. And this is yeah, just yeah. like a movie waiting to happen. Like, yeah, because th- that means Joy had to haul her ass down to the library right. or wherever, the, or the police station or sure. wherever and to find all those articles. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, who would she be played by? She's like a young Martha Stewart, I would say. So but let's get a Laura, let's an, get Laura Linney on that job. Laura fucking Linney. Bring it. Perfect. She can handle it. She's salt of the earth. Yeah. Very emotive. Yeah. Yes. Um, so in her research, she stumbles upon articles from the mid 1980s. There's like a two year period where all these cases of a strange stocky man with a raspy voice start is grabbing boys off their bikes and sexually assaulting them at night in the downtown area of Painesville, Minnesota. What? Remember Painesville? It's yes, where yes. our friend Jared is from. Right. Um, the man even asked about the boys ages before grabbing them and threatened to shoot them if they looked at him. Um. And one boy, and I just, this is such a creepy fucking little side, like, bar, said that one boy from Cold Spring said that his attacker had, quote, cheese teeth, like Swiss cheese kind of, which is such a, like, kid thing to say, you know? And it's so sad. And it turns out Danny Heinrich had chewed tobacco for several years and it affected his his teeth and made holes in them. (gasps) Oh. Yeah. So... It turns out that in on October 24th, 1989, less than 48 hours after the abduction of, of Jacob, one of those victims from fucking Painesville had come forward. Another one, not J- not Jared, had come forward about his assault and told them that it was very similar to the description of the abduction of Jacob and that he thought it was the same dude because of the, quote, quick military and uh, proficient way it was done. Ooh. And he said that he saw two other ambushes by the Painesville perpetrator. And the so, so um, Madeline, Baron interviews a couple of these like now men about their abductions and, and assaults and they talk about how it's just like known like watch out for the pervert like around town oh everyone knew God. what was happening and like one kid's like yep he got my friend you know like they all knew about it um, and and yet be I think because of like the stigma the yeah. stigma of it yes. the pain of it the horror those families went right. through instead of like coming together and yeah. being forthright which would be a very difficult thing to do anyway yeah everyone just keeps it to themselves and also don't you think it's a little bit about boys men sexual assault that the complete taboo yeah and like unspoken shame of that it happened in my little tiny neighborhood when i was like six or seven there was this kid who was molesting other boys oh they one of them took him to trial and uh we never fucking talked about it it just was not discussed there was no don't you know warning don't go into bushes with weird fucking creepy kids right like there was no warning because you just didn't talk about it i mean i feel like that's the other change aside from that that's the newest version it's like we're all now helicopter parenting each other by being honest and telling these stories that's right that's kind of the point well that's why this guy jared is such a fucking hero because he came forward time and time again trying to find out who did this to him and knowing that jacob uh, was probably attacked by the same person and he didn't let that get in the way. You know, he just like, he went full fucking force. As a child. As a child and as an adult again. Oh, okay. God. Okay. So, um, 
da, 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 da. this other guy came forward. He said that he, he saw two other people it happened to, and he gave the um, deputy the name of the officers in Painesville that he had reported it to. So he said to them, go talk to these officers. But this lead wasn't checked out um, until January 5th, 1990. So like a year later. <sighs> no, that's like three months. Okay. <laughs> Time. So three months later. Time is crazy. <laughs> And it never led anywhere, though. Right, right. Um, so they kind of didn't know that this had been happening, and Joy was able to find this out. She fucking reaches out to Jared on Facebook and is like, did you know about these? And sends him the articles. He didn't know about it. This is all interviewed in in uh, in the dark. Um, and together they dig into the articles, find new leads, and they track down the boys, now men, who had also been assaulted by the same man. Oh, my God. And Jared uh, convinces them to tell them the story, convinces them to band together and go to the um, police and tell them what happened. And uh, they, they all think it's the same man who took Jacob as well. So after hearing each other's stories and piecing various descriptions together, the perpetrator, Jared, and the men reach out to Jacob's case investigator to reveal what they knew. But it took a few years before investigators began listening and making the connections. So it's not until July 2012, mm. a DNA profile is lifted from the wrist of the sweatshirt that Jared had been wearing the night that he was uh, assaulted. Um, and in 2015, it's confirmed that the, the DNA on, that's found on the sweater that's not Jared's matches the DNA hair samples taken from Danny Heinrich in 1990. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. But guess what? He's, Fucking, he's dead. No. Oh. Statute of limitations. Oh, no. You can't take someone who sexually assaulted you and kidnapped you when you were 12 years old to court when you're an adult because they got away with it. Because of statute of limitations. Now that got to change. That just doesn't, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's such a fucking, it's like being victimized all over again. Yes. And also it, do, it, it doesn't make sense. The idea of like, you got away with it. Yeah. To me is such laws made by men. Right. About things that happen to women. And right. I, I understand that this is a different situation, but I, I honestly feel like that's the, yeah. that's part of the blowback from that. It's like, oh, well, if they raped you and seven years later, too bad for yeah, you. Yeah. They're a different person now. I don't know what the, I don't know what the thought is on that. Well, I think it's not understanding these predators. Right. I think it's genuinely whenever these laws were made, they didn't understand the way these people work, how they never stop, how you can't, like, you have to put them in jail forever. Like, and you don't think of the woman and how she doesn't have a statute of limitations on her fucking trauma and horror and the pain that was caused. Right. That's not going to end in whatever five, seven years because time has passed. That's with her forever. Right. Or the victim. Or the victim. Yeah. Obvious. Obviously, we're talking about yeah. men And then it's too. also like, okay, well, if the police didn't do their job correctly and fucked up and didn't find the suspect and like the statute of limitation, you're just fucked. Right. It's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. All right. Okay, but they are able to use this to uh, search Heinrich's home and they find 19 binders that contain child pornography. Oh, my God. So this motherfucker's still alive. Yep. Just hanging out yep. in Painesville. Mm hmm. Oh, like a town over, but basically, yeah. yeah. Um, they also find numerous videotapes that he had made around town, of course, of like kids playing baseball and news. You know, he's just a fucking pedophile pervert piece of shit who's been allowed to be on the street for like 30 fucking years. Okay. They arrest him. He's now 52 years old and um, they arrest him on possession of child pornography, which is like the only thing they can get him on. Right. Months before he is set to go to trial on those charges, it's like 25 charges of child pornography possession. He agrees to a plea deal. And the plea deal is that he finally admits 
that he was the one who kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and murdered Jacob Wetterling. So on September 1st, 2016, Heinrich leads investigators to the burial site located on a pasture near Painesville. And Painesville, again, is a, an, it's next door to St. Joe, but it's a tiny town, 2,500 people, lots of farmland, about 30 miles away from Wetterling's home and abduction site, and a short distance from where Heinrich was living in 1989. The remains are confirmed through dental records to be Jacob Wetterling's oh. after 30 fucking years. Jacob's mom, Patty Wetterling, says, all I can confirm is that Jacob has been found and our hearts are broken. I am not responding to any media yet as I have no words. Ugh. I know. In the plea agreement, Heinrich agrees to plead guilty to one count of the 25 federal child pornography charges brought against him. In addition to revealing the location of the body and pleading guilty, he also agrees to testify as to the details of the Wetterling crime so his family finally fucking knows what happened, but um, even though he won't be ever charged for them, that's part of the plea deal. So he admits to murdering a child and he's never going to be charged for it. No. Yes. Okay. So, yes. My thing is. I know. Do you know what I'm going to say? What? The jail, that maybe all these people that work on this side of the law are like, how about how about we know for a fact pedophiles get jailhouse justice the second he goes in, into and that can't be jail. true because there's so many pedophiles in jail and he's probably a high risk fucking because of that is high risk. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, I'm sure they talked. They the- got Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> Did they? No, they probably <laughs> didn't. They probably didn't. Um you know, I'm sure they talked to the Wetterlings and were like, we can find out where he is and bring him home so yes. you can have a proper burial for him. You can visit his grave, like know where he is, at least. You you have to have the faith that they did consult the family. Yeah. And so he's never going to get out of jail. So he got like it was like 19 to 20 years on that one count of child pornography. So he'll be in like early 70s when he gets out. But they did it in a way that was like because of that child pornography, he like they can just keep putting him in the system. Right. Because he's, dang- he's they dangerous. Did a, they the did world. basically a workaround. Exactly. To get around the yeah. fact that the laws do not reflect how things right. should actually they, go. They couldn't have done this, n- like, not knowing that he was going, he's not just going to get 20 years or whatever for good fucking behavior, hopefully, you know? Yes. At the court hearing, Heinrich testifies that he kidnapped and handcuffed Jacob, drove him to the gravel pit near Painesville, sexually assaulted him, and when he heard a patrol car nearby, he f- freaked out and so he shot Jacob in the back of the head and killed him Um, he buried his body in a nearby construction site he stole a bobcat from the fucking site to dig a grave Um, he said he returned a year later when it was dark and found Jacob's red jacket sticking out of the dirt and some bones so he took those and buried them close by as well Um, during the court hearing Heinrich also admits to kidnapping and sexually assaulting Jared um, Shirelle earlier that same year. So Jared finally gets his fucking He was exactly right. He was exactly the right. The entire time. Right. Heinrich sentenced to the maximum prison term for the child pornography charge, 20 years, blah, blah, blah. And in a recorded prison uh, call with his brother, Danny Heinrich told him that he, quote, hasn't touched anybody since the 1989 kidnapping and murder of Jacob. I know. So... Who cares? Yeah. Who cares what anything about what that guy is? Right. To say. But at least there isn't that thing of like, you didn't find him quick enough and he killed all these other people. True. Very true. But how do we know that? We don't know that. Because we're going to believe this fucking monster. So he, know, he knows for a fact that his calls are recorded oh, in jail. Totally. Yeah. 
Um, months after the first season of In the Dark was released, the then the sheriff of the um, county at the time abruptly resigns and he re- and his uh, chief deputy replaces him. That same year, 29 years after the abduction, the new sheriff, Don uh, Gunmanson, holds a press conference commenting on the botched investigation. And they also released the state's 41,000 page investigation file, which you can fucking read online. Wow. He acknowledges that the Stearns County Sheriff's Office lost control of the investigation and should have caught Heinrich much earlier. Earlier, and he takes responsibility for ignoring key evidence related to Heinrich oh. and for making critical errors that allowed him to avoid being caught. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, he says all of us failed. Ugh. There was a lot of manpower. Most of it was squandered, he said. What a huge symbol that is. It is. That's incredible. And I think a lot of people like the FBI were pissed at him for saying that shit. But I fuck them then <laughs> yeah. because that's what you do. That's what a professional does yeah. is you cop to your shit. You talk about what got fucked up yeah. so that it doesn't get fucked right. up again. And that's, that's what a kind human does is acknowledge that you fucked up and people are hurt because of it. Yes. And also someone who's good at their job, because yeah. how do you change? How do you how do you fix and and better the system so that it doesn't happen right. again it, if you never cop to your shit? Right. Or if you just like give out awards for the people who like finally did it. It's like, well, that's not acknowledging yeah. the 29 years that. Right. That he wasn't found. It's that kind of it's a tiny bit of touching on breaking down that uh, fraternal system that there seems to be where if in that in criminal justice, if people can't go, it shouldn't have gone this way without having their whole, you know, souls be destroyed. It's just like everyone else has to do that. Why shouldn't you have to do it, too? Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't like he was a diabolical fucking person that got away for 29 years and eluded police. He was just right there waiting for the dots to be connected and the dots to be found. And they weren't. And they weren't. So in 2018, a judge awards Jared Shiro, now 41, more than 17 million in damages in Whoa. a civil lawsuit against Danny Heinrich. Shit. Yes. At the trial, uh, Jared's friends and relatives testified to the damage that was done to him. Um, and his life by Danny Heinrich and Patty Wetterling, who's close friends with him now, I know, also testifies on his behalf and said that his forthrightness about what happened to him is what ultimately resolved Jacob's case. Ugh. I know. I can't. I know. I can't continue to cry on this podcast. I know. It's all I do. You're going to short circuit the... <laughs> Jared Shiro, of course, is unlikely to see any of the money since Heinrich filed for bankruptcy in 2011, of course, but it's a symbolic thing. Yes. He wanted his stay in court and, you know, he wanted acknowledgement of what happened happened to him um and jacob's kidnapping changed the lives of children and parents across the u.s of course helicopter parenting just stranger danger all that shit yeah joy baker the blogger wrote that quote jacob's abduction changed the way we raised our our children we taught them to be wary of strangers to be home before dark and to scream and fight back yeah and Jacob Wetterling would have been 41 years old today. Wow. And that's the fucking Jacob Wetterling case. Amazing. Please listen to In the Dark season I, one. I and can't two. wait to. It's so good. I can't wait to. Okay. You know what's funny? Uh, it's not funny. Because uh, you've told me about In the Dark a bunch of times. And, and I thought you was, would read or listen to it. I'm glad you. You know what I listened to? What? Cold. Oh. Which is the one. It's a different one. Yeah. And it is a huge bummer. A <laughs> huge bummer. <laughs> what is it about? That's the one about, um, Cold is the one about the murder of Susan Powell and her two sons by their husband, Josh Powell. And it is so fucked up. It's so fucked up. And also it's, they made recordings. He made recordings oh, yeah. of himself. He made audio diaries of himself. So it's, 
it's listening to the killer talk, yeah. which I hate. And so I basically had to bail on it. And I think I, I got them confused and then forgot there was a other one that was right, oh. essentially. Well, I did love cold, not to talk too much shit on them. I I don't mean to talk shit. No, 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 no. I it's hard. Listen. It's a really hard. I can't hard. listen to the killer talk. It, it fucked the whole, that whole season in that case fucked me up when I listened to it. It's just. Like I can listen, I can listen to that, but not Dr. Death. Right. <laughs> well, that's a different thing. We all have yeah. our we all have our areas. Cold is an amazing and very well produced yes. podcast. Yes. The the t- subject of which so fucked up on when I was driving up and down the five alone. Yeah. Didn't help me out. No, I can't imagine in any way. It was spending time with a bunch of creeps. Well, the second season of In the Dark is the one about Curtis Flowers. Uh, was has been convicted and he's been tried. It was like something like six times for this this murder in this furniture store, and it's just like by this racist fucking county prosecutor. Ugh. It's just this this saga of what happened to this poor man, Curtis Flowers, um, and it's just incredible investigative journalism. Amazing by the team. Yeah. Yay. Cool. God, God bless investigative journalism yeah. so that we can have our show. Exactly. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you. Good story. Thank you. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's It's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com Goodbye And with that I'm going to change gears on you Great As uh, as I am wont to do only because for me it's still summer uh, Yes I don't want to let go of that endless summer feeling yet No And so uh, my story this week is going to be Partly, it's actually partly a disaster story, but then it's also partly a cryptozoology legend. That's right. I'm doing the Mothman story. What? That's right. Tell me everything. Now, how much do you think you know about the Mothman? Literally zero. Is that true? I don't think so. You haven't even watched the Mothman Prophecies, the movie I've told you to watch about 20 times? I've not watched a single movie you told me to watch ever. I keep meaning to have a night and just watch all Karen's movie recommendations. I'm going to make you a list. Oh, I have something for you. Oh. My friend Doug Jones, who's going to be DJing the night who I write about in the book, Stay Sexy, Don't Get Murdered, as being someone who likes to share weird, obscure things like Mr. Show and Largo with, made us a movie from the TV, Murder in Texas, the 1981 TV (gasps) movie about the murder that you'd covered. Yes. What was it? 
oh god this could be the one about the, the, the rich woman yes. and her shitty and her father and her yes father. the father the husband killed her she was into horses what and the father yeah. killed him yes this was a live show that we did i don't know if we've posted really it. No. we must have posted it if he knows about it i think it wasn't a live steven what are we talking about? Yeah, I know it was because we did it oh. in... Oh, that's right. It was while like we were there. Texas? Yes, Texas. <laughs> you, said Texas. you did? Good. Oh, and it's called Murder in Texas. Oh, my God. I shouldn't have taken that eighth shot. This is amazing. I know. Doug Jones, thank you. Thank you, Doug Jones. What? Joan Robinson Hill. Yeah. Joan Robinson Hill. Yes. Um, and her father had a uh, like a Texas guy's nickname. Bucky. Bud. 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 It was dude. Hat. <laughs> Hat. A- Ash. Ash. Ash Robinson. Ash Robinson. Oh, I was close. You were close with Hat. Close with Hat. <laughs> Hat Robinson. I want my nickname to be Hat from now on. <laughs> okay. <I> promise. Because <laughs> you wear hats so much. I do. Yeah, thank or you. Wig. Thank you, Doug. This Thanks, is Doug. I'm so excited. Wait a second. I think this might star either Farrah Fawcett. <gasps> Farrah Fawcett, that's yes. right. And maybe a Tommy I, Lee Jones. I think is in so. There? And I think we posted this. No, it was Sam the guy who should have a mustache all the time. Sam Neil. No, no. Sorry. Sam. Sam. Elliot. Elliot. <laughs> We got there. We got there. And it wasn't a live episode. Uh, was not? <laughs> Shit. What right. episode was it, Stephen? Uh, 172. Okay. Well, did Was it, we had just come back from Texas and I, it was one I hadn't done there. Correct. Thank you. You can have that. Okay, thank I'll you. I'll give you that. I appreciate it. I'm going to get that one on a technicality. <laughs> okay, so we're talking now yeah. about one of my favorite stories. And uh, I have referenced on this show that to me, uh, of all things that are scary, the scariest one is people talking too fast on the phone. <gasps> My sister and I talk about this all the time. What? There's a part in the Mothman Prophecies where Richard Gere, the star of the Mothman Prophecies, okay. which is basically an amalgamation of all of the witness stories put together in one. Creepy. So they kind of made it. And it's based on a book by an author named... Hold on, front back. Simply named. Simply named, and I quote John Keel. He wrote the book, The Mothman Prophecies, in 1975, and then they made this movie in 22. And Richard Gere is like, I'm on board. Richard Gere's like, this is my jam. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm. this is my vehicle. So these creepy things are happening to him as a reporter. This, the, It's completely, this version of it is not real. Yeah. But at one point, he's staying in this weird little hotel, and he picks up the phone, and there's weird feedback mm. and electrical noises. And then no. there's a voice that goes, <laughs> like that fast, creepy talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my sister and I decided one day, because I did it to her on the phone just to be funny. <laughs> Never do that again. And she got so mad. And we decided that way too fast talking is the scariest thing. Yeah. It's so scary. Yeah. And otherworldly. So anyway. Yeah. If you haven't seen The Mothman Prophecies starring Richard Gere. Oh, we're all going to watch it together. Please stream it on your local streaming services. <laughs> also, I got a lo- most of my information from an article on Ranker, the website oh. that works so hard and gets almost no credit. Such a good website. God bless you, Ranker. And then they're like, oh, you like this article? Well, here's 10 other ones you're going to fucking stay up all night reading. Yes, you're going to like all the rest of these articles as much, if not more. So good. Rabbit, so God bless Rabbit Ranker. Hole. Um, and also the website, which I can, I'm starting to use more and more, Weird US, which basically mm. there's a book series that I used to read in the 90s called like Weird Los Angeles, yeah. Weird San Francisco. Fun. And it would have all the haunted places, creepy places, 
murder sites, whatever, yeah, yeah. kind of creepy of interest areas. Yeah. So now they're it, they're all on one website cool. called Weird US. Love it. And and then of course the Mothman prophecies. Okay. So this story took place in and around the cities of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Gallipolis, Ohio, which I can't believe that's the way it's pronounced mm. when it looks exactly like Gallipoli. Mm. Um, Unacceptable. From, it really it made me really mad when Stephen looked it up for me. <laughs> um, from November of no, um, 1966 through December of 1967. So okay. this started happening November of 1966 and went on for a year. Um and these two cities sit directly across from each other across the Ohio River mm-hmm. and or the the northern part of Gallipolis. It sits ac- directly across from um, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Got it. So the West Virginia side is best known for Mothman sightings, but it actually also happened over on the Ohio side as well. Okay. The Ohio River is between and it also kind of acts as the state line between West Virginia and Ohio. My my mind just blanked out. Geography. Don't resist geography because here's the thing. This is how we're learning about our great nation. <laughs> the thing we know nothing about. And also, did you even know West Virginia and Ohio were next to each other? No. <laughs> of course I didn't. I failed that class. I stared at this map for so long. <laughs> um, okay. So the story begins November 12th, 1966, 80 miles southeast of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, in a little town. Oh, I didn't look up the name. Okay, I'll just pronounce let's, this how I feel let's it. Let's hear it. Clendenin. That's right. C L E N D E N I N. Clendenin. Or it could be Clendenin. <laughs> or it could be Clendenin. But. This is a little sleepy burg of about 1,500 people in Wikipedia says in 2010. Okay. Uh, over 1,200 so it's people. Probably there. tripled since then. I would like to think. Okay. So this is what happens. Cut two. Okay. We're in a cemetery. Okay. Five grave diggers are digging a grave. Why are we here? <laughs> Cut that out. No, leave it. It's so gross. It's like a weird thing coming out of my throat. I belched in the microphone, so <laughs> it's only fair. Okay. Um, five dig- grave diggers digging a grave. Okay. They look up. They hear noise in the trees overhead. They look up to see a man-sized black bird with huge Ooh. glowing red eyes fly out of the treetops and then down low to the ground near them <gasps> and away. Okay, so it's not a man. It's just the size of one, and it's a giant bird. Yes. Okay, I think I think the word man being thrown in there is confusing. Man-sized. It was a hyphenate. Okay. Okay, got it. A man-sized bird. Got it. Um, so he didn't have, like, hands and arms. And no. He didn't, he didn't have, like, weird eyebrows that need to get trimmed. <laughs> um, or, no, it was just size-wise. Got it, got it, got it, got it. You know, birds are usually the size of your arm or sure, smaller. Sure. Or fist. Not my man. Not, not, not Vince-sized. <laughs> okay, so for me immediately kicking this off, my cynic mind goes, when have there ever been five grave diggers anywhere? Sure. Unless this was a unionized cemetery yeah. from the late 60s. Yeah. You, two max. Totally. Three maybe. What is this fucking family annihilator? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what, how do you get five? Why are you all together? And they're probably also fr- kind of freaked out a little because they're in a fucking grave yard digging. Yes. Uh, they might be used to it if it's their That's job. That's true. Unless they're just digging a grave and they're not professionals. Ooh. We don't know. It was the late 60s. Speculation. Anything could have happened back then. But then the fact that... Fi- so I was saying con that it's five because yeah. I'm not buying it. The con that it's grave diggers because, it, oh, it starts on a dark right. and spooky night right. or whatever. But then 
pro is the fact that five individuals came forward. So that's meaningful. Yeah. Yes. Um, although I'm sure they were ignored and humiliated by the authorities. Mm-hmm. But three days later, on November 15th, two young couples in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, their names are Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette. They report seeing a, quote, large flying man with 10 foot wings. Now, that's different than a man sized bird. That's right. This is a man that flies with huge wings. I think someone wrote that down wrong. So, but this huge man-sized bird was following their car. Wait, man bird, though. Yeah. Okay, was following their car. Was following their car in an area known as the TNT area, which was the site of a former World War II munitions plant Mm. near Point Pleasant. Mm. They said his eyes glowed red when the car's headlights picked up, like shone on him. Mm -hmm. Like a big man-sized deer in night vision okay but a moth man got it i'm here for this (laughs) that didn't help okay (laughs) you just said a bunch of words right then more sightings start coming in on november 17th so that's two days later a teenage boy is driving down route 7 near cheshire ohio and he sees a gray man-shaped 10 foot tall creature with red eyes Mm. um based on the pictures i think the reason they're saying man-shaped and Mm man-sized is because the guy, it's got wings, mm-hmm. but two legs. Ew. Yes. And also, the the head stops mid-wing and doesn't go up above it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it oh. doesn't look like a man wearing like wings. Like a hawk who's got a yeah, it's like, in here. Yes. Okay. The head's down low, almost like below the wing. But it's a bird head, not a man head. But uh, the head part is a question mark. Okay. Okay. Oh, Stephen has a great. Stephen has a bunch of pictures. Which, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me take a look. Oh, God, I just closed it. Steven, what's your, what's your password? I'll say it on the on air. C-A-T-Z. <laughs> cat. Five, 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 oh, cat. it's like a, an owl who has eyes in his chest. Yeah, we'll come back to that part. Okay, that's creepy as fuck. We'll it's, post that on... It's very upsetting. My favorite murder on Instagram, my, uh, all our <laughs> socials. Go on. Okay, so, so this teenage boy driving down Route 7 sees this tall, gray... A man-shaped 10-foot tall creature. Mm -hmm. That's bad enough. But then he tells the authorities that as he sped away, it followed his car. (laughs) Yeah. So very creepy and spooky. Then about two weeks later, we're back over in Ohio at the Gallipolis Airport and or Gallipolis, sorry, Mm -hmm. Gallipolis Airport. Thank you. Five pilots. Five. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Circle with a circle in red and put a question mark above. Five pilots see what at first they believe to be a weird airplane flying at 70 miles an hour. Then they realize is a some sort of large bird with a long neck. Why are there five pilots on one plane? Is well, <laughs> we don't know if oh. if they were if they were separate and it was five reports. Okay. If they if they just loaded a plane <laughs> filled with pilots of like we have to get this thing where it's going. We Everyone's need- a little sleepy, so if everyone takes a turn. It'll be great. One awake a co-pilot equals four <laughs> sleepy co-pilots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, back then, did all men spend time in groups of five? <laughs> and is that why things are f- so fucked up now? I trust pilots. I do, too. Do you? I do. Well, Except I'll... when you find out, like, one of them, they get arrested because they're drunk trying to fly a plane. Yeah, but that never happens. Oh. Almost hardly ever. 
Uh, <laughs> joking, JK. Um, so that so then it, it is credit credible yeah, 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 because yeah. they see a lot of stuff. Sorry, gravediggers, I trust you too. But. <laughs> we we absolutely trust you. Yes, but you see creepy stuff. Yeah. You're creeped out a lot. Yeah. There's a Scooby Doo element to being a gravedigger. <laughs> that right. when you're a pilot, you're just like I've got everything on lock. Yeah, and yeah. I must. I'm from the Air Force. So so then on December seventh, four adult women. Because it's women, so it has to be one less. Four adult women are driving up Route 30. I'm saying these roads like we know them at all. Oh, sure. Route 30. You know Route 30. It's I all take it to the, ten to, the, to the 110 to, the, to Route <laughs> to 30. The to the Route 30. <laughs> okay, so they're driving up Route 30, and they see what they report to be a brownish, silver, man-shaped creature with glowing red eyes. Creepy. So you can rely on the women to get accurate about that color. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the sun was setting. Crimson. They're like crimson. <laughs> There's like, he was either super tan. Big apple red. That's what I paint my toenails. (laughs) So, okay. So authorities are baffled, probably very scared, because they keep on hearing these stories of people seeing creepy shit. Yeah. So the um, Mason County, West Virginia sheriff, comes up with a totally logical answer to this mystery. Mm -hmm. Um, He claims that everyone's seeing an unusually large heron. Uh, that has gone off of its normal migration route. And he refers to the bird, whether it's a local terminology or he's just mad. He calls it a shite poke. Shite poke. What's that? I don't know. Uh, I know. It might be slang. Okay. Um, Then a wildlife biologist at West Virginia University tells reporters that the descriptions of the Mothman all fit the Sandhill Crane, which is a large American crane with a seven-foot wingspan that's as tall as a grown man Mm. with reddish circles around the eyes, um, and that that it could be just this type of crane that's somehow Say you're taking a fucking shortcut down an alley. Stephen is showing me this crane. <laughs> That's a, that is a fucked up crane. Let me see. I haven't I haven't looked. What if you run into that crane Holy in an alley? Fuck. That's a fucking ugly. I don't creepy. like the shite poke. <laughs> the sandhill crane's pretty serious. Yeah, they're big, big. And he has but, like an eye, it looks like an eye mask, like a sleep mask that's red. That's bright red. Yeah. So okay, frightening, frightening. Here's my problem. This bird is white. As as are many cranes. Mm-hmm. These are white, gray, a little bit brown. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not buying it. Okay. Maybe also, everyone was on acid. I mean, this was definitely when acid started getting popular. <laughs> so I would not argue you. Maybe it's like the Salem witch trials where there was mold on the grain that they were that Ooh. made their head. Did you hear about Is that? Is that why? That's one of the theories, and I fucking love it because I'm obsessed with mold. <laughs> AK, what? Hence, fucking. Uh, this podcast will kill you being yeah. on our network. It's yeah. amazing. Um, that there was mold, this mold on the grain that they used to make the bread and everyone went fucking hallucinogenic psycho. Psilocybin style. Exactly. Yes. Hell yeah. Read, read about it. Okay. People. Um, not now, right? No, Later? please okay. listen to this podcast. Okay. So essentially, now we've got the crane theory in the mix okay. and people are like, phew, it's just a crane. Right. It's just a huge man-sized crane. Yeah, calm down. Okay, but none of the witnesses who hear this say they saw a crane. Right. They're like, no, it's, it's it's simply not that. I know that. what a fucking crane is. Yeah, don't you professor. dare condescend to me, professor. <laughs> so, including a man who's a contractor named Neil Newell Partridge, and he argues that the theory doesn't explain 
all these weird electrical um, interferences that he's been getting at his house since he spotted the Mothman in a field on his property. And he basically saw it in a field and put up a flashlight, saw the glowing red eyes and was like, that was no crane. And here's how I know, because since I saw the Mothman, my German shepherd has disappeared. What? That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It ate it ate the dog. Oh, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> or, or did it run away and join the Mothman? <laughs> join that crane. And they became a fucking dynamic duo. The crane carries the German Shepherd in, like a Aww. little baby. Aww. A newborn baby. In his mouth. And they're like, fuck migration patterns. We're going wherever <laughs> we want in West Virginia. We're gonna do it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Noel Partridge is like, yeah. No, something weird's going on. I know it. My dog knew it. Do something about it. So now there's a reporter named Mary Heyer, who is a correspondent for the Athens, Ohio newspaper. A called woman. The Messenger. Yeah, in the 60s. In the 60s. She wore the highest of heels. So she begins writing about all these strange sightings that she's seeing coming over the telegraph. I don't know if that's what, I, what it's called. <laughs> is that the telegraph? <laughs> what? A mothman, you say? Why? Why? There hasn't been a mothman around here in, <laughs> in about 25 years. A really short amount of time. People start calling. So she starts writing about it yeah. in the messenger, the Athens messenger. Sure, sure. Then people start calling her and telling her when they see UFOs, odd, experiencing odd electrical interferences like Newell did. Uh Um, They also start hearing weird humming sounds coming up out of nowhere. Uh On one particularly busy weekend, she got over 500 calls (gasps) from people in the area saying that they had been seeing strange lights in the sky. 500. 500 calls in one weekend. Holy shit. So something was Leave me alone. I'm trying to sleep. How'd you get this number? She's like, I'm just trying to report the news. Look, so here's, this is uh, John Keel who I already told you is the author of the book The Mothman Prophecies from Mm -hmm. 1975 upon which the classic Richard Gere film is loosely based. Mm. Loosely. Mm. Um, And he is basically considered to be the foremost authority on these Mothman stories. Um, He claims that between November of 1966 and November of 1967 at least 100 people personally witnessed the Mothman in the Ohio and West Virginia area. Wow. Now, on the uh, Wikipedia page, it goes on to, when it gets into the debunking stage, talk about how none of these people, nobody could to track them down. But wow. I just told you people's names because they were like, there's no real names and nobody yeah. and you can't track them down. But it's like just because people have died since 1967 doesn't mean they didn't have the experience right. they had. Right. So fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> professor. Why are we mad at this? Pro- <laughs> the scientists always take the most shit. OK. And. This the sightings of uh, strange creatures in the sky is not new for this area. Um, in the early 1900s, that area was known for reports of thunderbirds, which in cryptozoology are uh, known as they're giant birds with 12 foot wingspans that were spotted flying up and down the Ohio River Valley. Stephen, do you mm. want to look up thunderbirds because this is a real thing? Now, the pictures that you find on the internet they could very well be hoaxes but thunderbirds are kind of legendary Wait, tell me what they are again they're humongous birds a lot of people think that are somehow holdovers kind of Loch Ness yeah, monster yeah. style or like from like 
pterodactyls exactly they're like leftover dinosaur birds that come in and are just like what's that a toddler <gasps> goodbye oh no and it happened to like the pioneers and stuff oh shit yeah so this is a this is a story that's been going on for a while there's also stories of similar types of creatures that would ascend from the sky that um native americans and first nation people have always told right. where if a certain type of cloud would come in they'd be like get all the kids inside <gasps> because those evil uh things now I can't remember what birds those evil thunderbird type animals are coming oh my so God. this is not this isn't new yeah, yeah, in yeah, any yeah. way is my point wait Stephen let me see I think fine. this is it like a drawing there was some cars showing up the thunderbird <laughs> of course there were you can't tell the size but it's real ugly Majestic. <laughs> ugly in a majestic majestic in an ugly way. This looks like if your high school mascot is the Falcon. Yeah, it does. There's nothing Stephen, there was actually a picture I was talking about. <laughs> Wait, is it the science picture with the scientist with the giant? Read his yes. text. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know what? Read his text. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Wait. Stephen, can you bring up that picture? Yeah, he yeah. brings up a pencil drawn. There might as well it might as well say Alex P underneath it or like <laughs> Or yeah, have like the a one I was looking for. Have a Stussy. <laughs> Look at that big Holy. ass Holy shit. Stephen, will you post this post this picture also? Yeah, yeah. And That's also, not... Stephen, will you find out if that picture's a hoax? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's insane. So oh, if crazy. it's a hoax, they'll tell us. That's a hoax. There's no way there's that big of a bird. This is the fun part of the show where we're going to say something's real, and it's your job to tell us if it's a hoax. But say it angrily. Yes. Make <laughs> sure that you act like we are always supposed to get everything right. That's right. We should because do better. We're your primary source of news. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what what we're saying is just that that big, huge bird-like things in the sky is not new for this yeah. Ohio Valley area. Get with it, Ohio River Valley area. I don't know if it's a valley. That's how I go wrong is adding in words like that. Okay, so all of the witnesses. Here's here's the difference though in this period of between 1966 and 1967 all the witnesses who reported seeing the mothman gave similar descriptions it was whiter than a man but had human-like legs mm. um that its eyes were set near the top of the shoulders which is the creepiest yeah. aspect of it yeah and that it had bat-like wings that glided rather than flapped when it flew and when it flew away it ascended straight up into the air like a helicopter <gasps> and it flipped you off on the way out <laughs> and said bye bitches bye, every bitch, time it said bye, bye bitches <laughs> which is rude <laughs> it's say well they didn't know at the time what it meant but hashtag bye bitch, <laughs> bye, bitch. And I'm like, what's a it, hashtag it said it really fast <laughs> scary so scary. Witnesses also described the murky skin as either being gray or brown and that it emitted a humming sound when it flew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that? <laughs> like it was nervous in the grocery store? <laughs> Again, and I probably said this before, if you're ever near a person who just starts whistling or humming, you're getting your pocket picked and you need to keep your eyes open. You need to get put that head just start punching, I think is the answer. <laughs> but first, start by punching behind yeah, you. Yeah, you be the weird one. If someone's humming near you, become the weird one and just start punching. Yeah, because you can just, you can always stop and walk away. They're still the weird one that's humming. We are so back, baby. Okay. Can you feel it? Can you feel the energy of it? Okay, so, oh, <laughs> this is my favorite sentence of this, of all of this research. The humming sound when it flew, and then it says, it was also incapable of speech. It communicated with a screeching sound. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so thank God it didn't land in front of your car with its red eyes. And I was like, what's up, Jerry? I'm here to freak the fuck out of you. It's never like that. You mean it talked like a bird? <laughs> 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 
but I thought it hummed. <laughs> anyway, what's what's up in your car? Okay, so so all of this is fun and creepy and right. weird and cryptozoological, which is kind of my favorite, yeah, yeah, yeah. as we know. But and maybe not true, as okay. also my favorite. I believe it. But here's the part that's interesting and factual. These sightings continue for a year up until disaster strikes. <gasps> the evening of December 15th, 1967. And uh, there, all these commuters are sitting in their cars in traffic waiting to cross the Silver Bridge, which connects Point Pleasant, West Virginia and Gallipolis. Gallipolis? It's Gallipolis. Yeah. And Gallipolis, Ohio which are on either side of the Ohio River. Got it. So the Silver Bridge is a is a span bridge. It was built in 1928 and uh, about 4000 cars a day cross it. Wow. Um and that is very different since the 40 years uh ago when it was built. Uh um I said I wrote since its erection, shut up. Um, <laughs> but the bridge has never been updated or rebuilt to accommodate the increasing drive time con- congestion. Uh-oh. So here's the way it happened. And I found this story, um, these stories from a website called timeline.com. Cause I just put in Silver Bridge disaster timeline. Mm-hmm. And then there's a website called timeline.com. Hmm. God bless it. And it had these stories on it. Okay. So around 5 p.m., there's a woman named Charlene Wood who's on the, getting on the bridge to get home from her job at a hair salon. She's pregnant. Huh. She's been working all day. Oy. She just wants to get oh, home. Her fucking feet. All around her, there's trucks, there's commuters, and there's um, people shopping for Christmas because it's almost Christmas. Okay. Beginning in December. Suddenly, she feels the bridge shake. Now, apparently, because this is a span bridge. What um, does that mean? A span bridge is kind of, it's like built similarly to, it's it's one where it goes over a river, over a body of water. Mm-hmm. So it has to suspend itself. Mm. But a, I guess a span bridge, I'm not going to be able to explain this correctly, but like the Golden Gate Bridge is technically a span bridge, but it's the cables on it that hold it Got up it. and keep it out. And so the it's way, not like pillars. Instead, it's like holding itself up with yeah tension. Exactly. But these, the way this bridge was built was flat pieces of metal that were a foot wide and like two inches thick. Okay. As opposed to, um, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge is just all those uh, cables. Yeah. Um, So there is a tiny, and I think they, in the end, they found out that it was like a three millimeter Mm. wide flaw in Mm. the steel on one of the spans. But it had been there for so long. There was no way to inspect it unless they would have to like look at every single right. inch of the bridge, right? But it, but, but nothing had ever been checked or updated or ever. So over the years and the way this bridge, it would move with the cars and with, um, whatever. So people said it was very common to be on the silver bridge and have the whole thing move yeah. and shake and do stuff. Yeah. And it was just kind of people were used to it. But over the years, this thing kind of wore away and wore away until this day. So. Charlene uh, is sitting there and she feels the bridge shake really hard. So she real quick decides to throw her car into reverse and back up as far as she can. And luckily she can because one minute later, (gasps) 60 seconds later, the cars in front of her begin sliding down (gasps) off the bridge and into the river. The, the, um, the bridge had collapsed and the cars were just going in. Holy shit. And she had somehow miraculously been able to back up to solid ground and get off the, like, the part that had collapsed. Oh my God. Yeah. And she said, um, 
And the water, of course, it's December. It's freezing. The water's 40 degrees. She said, it was like someone had lined up dominoes. I could see cars' lights flashing as they went tumbling into the water. The car in front of me went in, and then there was silence. (gasps) So she was the last car that before they stopped going into the water. Um, A truck driver named Bill Needham is midway across the bridge when it collapses. He's thrown into the water, but he's able to escape because he has a half rolled down window. Oh, my God. And he was quoted as saying, I didn't know how far I had to go up when he means like swim back up. Yeah. Um, He says, but I could tell that the water uh, I could tell the water kept getting lighter. So that's basically how he knew what direction to swim. He used a box that was floating in the water because basically there's all these trucks and all these cars. So there's just stuff in the water. So the people that were able to get out of their cars and get to the surface were grabbing things to hold on to because he Bill didn't get rescued out of the water for 15 minutes. Oh, my God. He was in uh, 40. I think they said it was 40 degree water for 15 minutes. His partner, Robert Toe, did not make it out of the truck. He died in that truck. And so did 18 year old Mark. Marjorie Boggs, who was driving her husband, Howard, and their 17-month-old child across the bridge when it collapsed. Um, Howard was pulled pulled to safety by a rescue boat. And the first thing he said to the crew when he got on board was, I just hope to God Marjorie and the kid got out okay. Marjorie and her baby and Howard's baby's bodies were found six weeks later oh. in, the, in the car in the, in the river. Oh, State Trooper Rudy Odell, who was 31 years old at the time, was one of the first officers to respond to the disaster. And he said, quote, I could hear them hollering for help. I didn't know how many there were at the time. There was absolutely nothing I could do. It was a long way out into the water. Mm-hmm. So he's basically on yeah. one side of the river looking out yeah. at these people. What is he going to jump into 40 degree water and try to like? Yeah. And, th- and that's not the way you save people no. when they're when they're drowning. No. Um, so in all, 31 cars went into the Ohio River that day, sending 64 people into its 44 degree waters. Oh, so it's 44 degrees. Of the 64 people who went in, 46 of them died. Holy shit. The Silver Bridge collapse remains the deadliest bridge disaster in United States history. President Lyndon Johnson released a statement saying all Americans were shocked by the cruel tragedy and loss of life and assembled a task force, the task force on bridge safety to mount an investigation. And forensic analysis traced the problem to a small stress crack. Um, mm. inside the bearing loop of I-bar 330. So the I-bars were the things holding it up. No sightings of the Mothman were reported again in the Point Pleasant area after that day. What? Yeah. So that's why people connect. There's the, the theory is that the Mothman appeared trying to warn people about this tragedy that was coming. Mm. If that is the case, he did not do a good job. Of I it. mean, it could, it must have been the only I can screech yes. part. Why write something down? Yeah. Speak Um, in human tongue. Yeah. Sorry, Mothman. That it's just the truth. That whatever you did, all you did was freak people out and you were not on message. But good try. In 1969, the Silver Bridge was replaced by the Silver Memorial Bridge, which was a mile downstream of the original. And there is a memorial installed in Point Pleasant to commemorate the 46 bridge collapse bridge collapse victims. Um that's so sad. It's horrible. But, and I think, 
I think the reason that legends like this pop up, because a lot of, you know, the theories are that there's always been this legend mm-hmm. in, in like these stories and that it come, it comes up after the fact. Right. Because people want to lace some kind of that, that there would be help or something out of this just yeah. senseless tragedy where in the middle of the day at Christmas time, all these people just got dumped in the river and died. So it's this, there is, a lore and a legend around it like something was there and it could have helped but also i think it's that idea that like that maybe some somebody's watching us yeah. could help us prevent these tragedies in in the future we just knew how to pay attention to them correctly right um and understood screeching yeah exactly now on an up note Point Pleasant held, held its first annual Mothman Festival in 2002. Oh, really? And a 12-foot-tall metallic statue of the creature, created by artist and sculptor Bob Roach, was unveiled in 2003. Yes, there are pictures. Wow. Um, and it's much more silver and beautiful than uh, any of the drawings <laughs> or illustrations. <laughs> and also much, much taller yeah. than the way people uh, described it. The Mothman Festival is a weekend-long event held on the third weekend of every September, Mm. and there are a variety of events that go on during the festival, such as guest speakers, vendor exhibits, a Mothman pancake eating contest. Yes! Can we go? Could we please? Can we be the speakers? I mean, we have to hit the Circleville Pumpkin Pumpkin Festival first. Right. I think this should be number two. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then also the Cheese Festival in Wisconsin. Yes, that's right. In... Athens, Wisconsin? I think so. Isn't it some kind of a other foreign city name? You're so smart. Stephen, <laughs> thank you. Um, I just love that it's a Mothman pancake eating contest. Like, moths love pancakes. <laughs> if you're going to have you a don't legit, know. you have a, how about you have a wool suit eating contest because that's the real deal. <laughs> My vintage dress eating contest. <laughs> yes, exactly. It'd be way harder, way longer, mm. but much more accurate. Um, there's also hayride tours focusing on the notable areas of Point Pleasant. Um, and there's now a Mothman Reese. Museum and Research Center that opened in 2005, run by someone named Jeff Wamsley. Good job, Jeff. Jeff, if that's still open, God bless you. Mm-hmm. It'd be amazing to go look at that. That's right. Uh, and that's the legend of the Mothman and the tragedy of the Silver Bridge collapse of 1967. Wow, that was not what I was expecting. Great job. Right? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel like getting fully back into the full tragedy. No, I get it. That was a good one. And you Just know, a touch of it at the end. I feel like, you know... We can do stuff like that now. And we do this We do this at live shows a lot of the times, too, of, like, um, urban legends and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like let's, now well, that we're back. It's storytelling. It's storytelling. This is new. We, we don't need to find the world's worst murder every week. It can also be <laughs> stories like this, and I like that. Fucking hooray. Oh, yeah. So let's end this on a positive note. Let's do it. Do you have one from the past two months? Do you want uh, me to go first? Absolutely. Yes, you go, go first. first. Okay. We, three weeks ago, finally moved into my first home. Mm-hmm. I keep calling it my apartment because it's <laughs> so fucking weird. I don't get it, but I love it. Yeah. And I'm just really happy uh, about it. And I, 
one of the things that brings me so much joy about it is watching the cats experience it <laughs> because I've just always had an apartment that faces a stucco wall and that's like it. But now we have like a view of trees so mm. they can watch the birds and there's this one giant beetle that keeps clonking against the window and the cats get like lose their shit. <laughs> and because of that, the windows, we also have sunlight at n- in the afternoon. Isn't that nice? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, and so the cats have been laying in it in the sun and it's just so nice and comforting to watch. But um, Elvis has this pink, um, like, like he lost some fur on his chest because he's getting older and he's been laying in the sun for the first time in years because <laughs> we have sunlight and he's gotten tan. <laughs> so now his pink belly is like a little bit tan and it's just making me really happy. Oh, that's it's, good. It's really funny. That's, that's what's bringing me joy. That's so good. Now this... <laughs> Shh. Now be quiet. Now this... My um, fucking array is so has nothing to do with me directly, but I am so deeply proud that Schitt's Creek was nominated for multiple Emmy Awards. I love it. They're going to be at the Emmys this year. And not I, I mean, it's so it was like. Um, co- for comedy series, lead actors Eugene Levy, lead actress Catherine O'Hara, and costumes. Huge. Ugh. Right? Yeah. I mean, but, but the idea that they didn't nominate Dan Levy, who yeah. his whole acting style is the reason that that show like, f- like sizzles the way it yeah. does. It's like his style and the realness and whatever. But, all that is to say, uh, when I saw that, I was, it just like, I felt so proud because that's the kind of show I've rewatched it probably four times and it just keeps on giving. It's funnier every time you watch it. I love like, it. Like, it's just so good. So if you haven't watched it, please watch it. And if you watched it a while ago, rewatch it. Like, if you're in a bad mood or things get scary, yeah. it feels, it's just so great. I had never finished watching it, so I need to get back to it. I mean, look, it's not for everybody. I like to make very strong recommendations on this um, show and tell everybody things are exactly the way I think they are. Like Mothman <laughs> prophecies. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yay, hooray for Schitt's Creek and how exciting, because that means that they're they're going to be in our town. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I know. Me too. Um, Cool. Thanks, you guys. Welcome back to everyone. Oh my god, we're so we're so excited to be back we live are. and in studio with you. We missed you. This is like our the most fun job we've ever had. It's the best. I can't believe we get to do this for a living, and I'm I'm just thrilled to be back. And now we have to do it for a living. God, damn it! <laughs> now we have to make a living. No, we got to do this thing. That's right. Thanks for being here Thank with us. Thank you. We hope you had a great summer vacation yeah. too. We miss you. We love you. Sorry, you have to go back to school now. That's right. Boo. But Send your buns until then. Today, Nora's her, her first day of seventh grade. Oh, oh my God. She's a grown-up. Yeah, and her braces are off. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> I didn't call her a bitch. I'm sorry. I'm not calling your niece a bitch. No, no, no. You were doing that Mothman style. <laughs> Bye, bitches. Bye, bitch. Bye. <laughs> Hashtag. Um, so, yes. Stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye, Goodbye bitch. <laughs> bitch. <laughs> yes. Elvis, you want a cookie? Ah.